Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Bono and Eisen, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, grab your passport because we're taking a trip overseas where you can find the next big opportunity for your money. Plus, a big win for weed. We'll tell you about the historic vote in the House today that sent cannabis stocks blazing higher. And later, a whopper of a celebration. One fast food joint has a big birthday. We'll tell you who has taken the crown on this very special day. We start off with a celebration of our own. Stocks hitting all-time highs today as Wall Street closes out another record week. The Dow, Nasdaq, and S&P 500 are all at their highest levels ever. But as stocks hit new highs here in the U.S., the best trade may be emerging far away. Check out the Emerging Markets ETF. It hit its highest level in nearly three years today. The EEM is far outpacing the S&P 500 over the past three months. Driving the action, a nosedive in the dollar. The dollar index has been on a steady decline. It is now at its lowest level since April 2018. So given the backdrop, is it time to rotate out of the U.S. and maybe look abroad for that next big trade? Tim. Now, this seems like it could be a, a rerun of trading the globe. I mean, these are dynamics that we haven't seen for emerging markets in a long time. And the, the setup here is the dollar that's been discussed, uh, I guess, far and wide on the network. And, and certainly, if you look at where the dollar is, if you're investing in emerging markets, one thing you've known over the last couple decades, which is about as long as I've been investing in EM, is that the currency is at least 50% of your return profile. And, and a number of the high-yielding currencies are certainly one of the, 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 the drivers of this rally, but that's the Brazilian real, it's the Turkish lira, it's the South African rand. And, 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 but if you're investing in the EEM, um, right, Jan 26, 2018 was that blow-off top at around 51.75. And I think you've got a case here where you've got rates moving higher, but normalizing. Normally, higher rates for EM aren't good. Um, I, I just think that if you look at the resource trade and you look at a lot of the, the things that are moving around the world, some of this is about a, a global recovery, PMIs recovering, and some sense that at least the U.S. dollar and, and U.S. rates are going to stay lower for longer. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic for the rest of the world. Yeah, we may be in the depths of the uh, coronavirus pandemic here, Jeff Mills, but overseas there is a recovery going on, particularly in Asia, which is a big component of EEM. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is opportunity in EEM. EEM was actually one of my final trades a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sticking with it. But I don't know that it's about rotating out of the U.S. into EEM as an example. I think you can have both trades in your portfolio. And I just use today as an example, right? I mean, we got reasonably weak employment data, but at the same time, small still beat large and values still beat growth and yields were up. So at the same time, I think markets are looking ahead. They're looking to the vaccine. They're looking to the stimulus news that we got this week. Um, So it's a value rotation. It's a cyclical rotation. And that bleeds into EM as well. My only caution with EM is maybe in the near term. Tim mentioned the dollar. I think Sentiment on the dollar is pretty bearish right now. So I think in the near term, you could have a counter trend rally in the dollar that might take a little bit of steam out of the momentum in EM. I think if you look at copper, for example, um, longs in copper are at new highs right now. So that's a decent proxy for how investors are feeling about China, how investors are feeling about global growth. So maybe over the next couple of months, you see EM trade sideways. But I think the setup is pretty good here. Tim also mentioned PMIs. 
November China Manufacturing and Services PMIs, they're at the highest levels we've seen since 2010. So that's really good news for countries in China's supply chain like Korea, Taiwan, and that's 25% of EEM right there. And then the dollar, of course, you know, I think the Fed remains behind the curve on inflation on purpose. That leads to negative real rates, puts pressure on the dollar. So the setup going into 2021 over the next year, I think, is pretty good. So positioning might be a problem uh, short term, but the dollar trend longer term, Steve, seems to be lower. I mean, that, that's what was expected with the Biden administration on the expectation that there will be more spending, even though Congress looks to be divided at this point. Um, th- that is what most people are expecting. Dollar weakness ahead. Yeah, so the dollar, well, you, you can't have rates move up as we've seen rates moving up. Even I- incrementally, the 10-year is, is very low, but on a percentage basis, it's rallied quite a bit. The dollar, to your point, you have to have one or the other going down for EM. And JP Morgan's out saying that Europe is actually the place to be. So EEM has a large, as you just mentioned, uh, Asian leverage. But how do you buy European stocks? The most, uh, most Americans or most people that invest here don't want to buy an, uh, an actual listed European stock, so you buy ones with European exposure. For me, you've heard me mention the names Trinseo, TSE. That one has a 65% uh, leverage to Europe, 24% leverage to Asia. OLN, 45% leverage international. Uh, Capri Holdings, that one's a 45% leverage to international as well. So I get my value exposure, and then I get my European exposure in the same bucket, and that's why these names, I'm looking for them to outperform as they have outperformed in the last three months. So Bono, and on a relative basis, do you like overseas exposure better than the United States, and how would you have that exposure in your portfolio? Um, Well, that's, that's a good question. So Really, it's not that I would dump the U.S. to invest overseas, but I, I certainly would prefer to be looking at EEM, FXI, EWZ, which will actually be my final trade, uh, as opposed to moving further and further along the risk spectrum and, and dumpster diving, so to speak, in terms of sectors and companies that have been impaired from the coronavirus. And that is essentially what we're seeing. We're seeing people moving out along the risk curve and essentially picking up much more speculative businesses that is now trending into impaired territory. So that is what I would steer clear of. Um, with that said, I would also say that there's argument with, with what we're seeing with the debasement of the U.S. currency that the risk premium between domestic markets and emerging markets should shrink. And you're seeing that play out in terms of some of the currency appreciation and some of the other names that Tim mentioned. I'm personally looking at names like EWZ, Petrobras Vale, uh, for a few reasons, for the reasons that I mentioned before. But in addition, what we're seeing is reinstatement and uplift from some of their dividends uh, and, and other ways to pass through value to shareholders there. Yeah, I mean, Tim, you can go for sort of the double whammy and go for a resource trade that, that's an overseas stock as well. So, right, and, and, and a Rio Tinto ticker, RIO, which is an Australian company listed in the UK, but is also over here, but has enormous exposure to China. And, and again, it's often been iron ore and, and some of the bulks, which is what we call uh, that part of the commodity chain. I, 
I think BHP, Rio Tinto, these are these are trades that we haven't talked about in a long time on this show. And, and I do think they're interesting. But also look at Freeport, look at U.S. Steel. The steel companies are ripping. And, and I think the dynamic here is that they were uh, the balance sheet sensitivity, especially at lower commodity prices for some of these companies was enormous. Uh, the flip side is that they're actually now starting to generate cash flow. So um, I, I just, you know, I caution investors because these are more volatile trades. And I think you, you shouldn't be just dumping everything to be looking overseas. And I've seen this before. I mean, this, this ratio, do the ratio of the EEM versus the SPY. And you can see how badly emerging markets have underperformed over a decade. And as someone that, that really likes investing overseas, um, I, I caution that some of these moves can be violent. And we've had a pretty good run. Let's break through 51.75 in the EEM. Then I think we're probably going significantly higher. And by the way, that's how Tim um, got his nickname, his original Fast Money nickname, the ambassador, because yeah, that is his specialty, emerging markets. Um, Jeff Mills, though, to Tim's point, I mean, this is the story of the markets for 2020, this push out on the risk curve. People are looking for growth. Um, they don't want to all be piling into the MAGA complex, as Dan Nathan likes to call it, the, the, the biggest tech names in the market. And so they're looking elsewhere, whether it be SPACs or maybe EM or, or EV stocks. Yeah, they are. And I, to, to Tim's point, you have to be careful and you have to do your homework. But I do think that that's where the opportunity is. I mean, I'm sure you covered it on the show this week, but just think about Zoom as an example, right? They, they beat on earnings in every conceivable metric. But at the same time, the stock was down 15% that day. So we're at a point right now where some of those names that people have crowded into, they're just reflecting expectations that are too high at this point. So I think you can look to other areas. I mean, Yes, you had a weaker employment report today, but it wasn't all bad. You still had 145,000 increase in transportation and warehousing, manufacturing, construction employment look good. So I think you can still play areas in the consumer discretionary space for an example. I mean, consumer free cash flow is still very high, especially coming out of a recession. Debt servicing costs are down. The savings rates elevated. Um, I just think it's going to be a different industry group leadership profile there. I think it's going to be less about durables and more about more cyclical areas like luxury goods, autos, as an example. Um, just industrials overall, things that are more correlated to payroll growth um, and PMI increases. Um, and I'll just leave you at this point because we're talking about this, this widening out rally. Um, everything seems to be working right now and people are pointing to caution and that's, that's probably true. The market might be overbought. But at the same time, you have 93% of S&P 500 constituents trading above their 200-day moving average right now. So yes, near-term overbought. But when you have that kind of momentum, which is in the 95th percentile, you actually tend to have above-average returns over the next 12 months. So I think overall, the market moves that we're seeing right now are actually a good thing looking out in the next year. The Nasdaq is trading two standard deviations above its 50-day moving average. Bonowin, should we be concerned about the overbought levels that appear to be in the S&P and the, the Nasdaq? Uh, certainly, although I will point out that what you're seeing is that on days that we sell off, there tends to be a correlation between uh, mega cap tech outperformance on the downside and value industrial more high beta names um, outperforming on the upside. So I wouldn't I, I would decouple those two. Certainly proceed with caution, but be mindful of the fact that if you're looking for a way to play, play it more bearishly, that you're seeing that outperformance of tech on the downside. All right, coming up, high times for the pot stocks as the House votes to decriminalize marijuana. Are these jackpot trades? Jackpot, get it, trades? Or will they go up in smoke? We'll debate that next. Plus, looking to have it your way, we've got a flame-grilled name that could add some greatness to your portfolio. We'll tell you all about it when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Pot Sox lighting up today following an historic vote in Congress to decriminalize marijuana at a federal level. The House, the House passing the Moore Act, which removes marijuana from the controlled substances list. It also gets rid of criminal penalties for those who manufacture, distribute, or carry the, the product. It does not, though, change individual states' laws on marijuana, and it still needs to be approved by the Senate. So, Tim, does it get approved by the Senate? Uh, how should we interpret this? No, no. This, this bill, at least in the current uh, Congress, is dead on arrival. It's a historic day for cannabis. Make no mistake, I'm excited about this, but this isn't going to change the legislative path in the short term. I, I think uh, the most important thing, and we talked about this after the elections, is that the states continue to legalize and that you are getting Republican senators heading to Washington where their main constituency is a legalized cannabis state, or at least there's now, uh, I believe there's nine Republican senators that certainly need to represent those interests. It's changing but I think the most important thing here is, is that you've got a perception change in the country. But for the U.S. cannabis players, uh, the rally both into elections was not only about legalization, but it was about the profitability of these companies. And, you know, look at the names and the names that we have there on the screen. I mean, these are the biggest cannabis companies in the world. I mean, Cureleaf is up almost 100 percent this year. And, and what the stocks have done over the last few weeks is, is not necessarily representative of the opportunity. Some of them have continued to rally, but it's been such a strong run here, um, but different than I think other times in cannabis's history, we see the fundamentals and, and they're getting better and they're not getting worse. This isn't just a momentum trade. All right. Our next guest says today's vote is a big win for one of her top holdings. Let's bring in Annie Erner, principal at Iridium 77 Management. Annie, you like Constellation Brands. Uh, and uh, does this news make the story even better? Yes. First, thanks for having me, Melissa. Yes, I do love Constellation Brands for its core businesses, but uh, this is a lottery ticket for, as, as Karen Fireman likes to say, it's, it's great. Um, there's an upside opportunity here for the company. They own 38% of canopy growth with the opportunity through warrants to increase that stake to 55%. Uh, about a year ago, they placed their CFO, David Klein, at the helm as CEO of Canopy Growth. They recently reported their first top and bottom line beat. And um, this proves that the CEO has put in the right financial disciplines and guardrails and is executing on strategies and with still great opportunities for new initiatives going forward. It's a big addressable market, uh, mostly in Canada with the recreational market plus the CBD opportunity is about a $20 billion market with the US just including the CBD portion, which that's a legal business right now, um, in, in many states, not in all states. 
um, that gets you to a $60 billion opportunity. So big growth from, from that segment. But the core business is, is doing very well and generating strong operating cash flow, and that's why I like the company. Um, the beer side of the business is growing top line at high single digits with strong operating margins and the best in class operating margins in the 39 to 40% range. And that's driven by their top beer brands, um, Corona and Modelo Especial. And they just launched in the hard seltzer uh, category with just one skew because they did it in the midst of the pandemic. And that holds a lot of promise for them. They're already in the mar number four market share position. Um, they also just sold their low-end brands uh, of their wine and spirits business to Gallo. That transaction is going to close very shortly. Right. Annie, and Steve Gross has got a question. I want to let him in here. Sure. Great. So, so Annie, when you look at the stock, uh, in a lot of ways, this has been a shelter-in-place stock because obviously restaurants and, and bars aren't open, but people are buying more beverages from their home. The stock is above pre-COVID levels, it's doubled off the bottom. Are you worried about when we restart the economy, this one well, can actually fade? Well, they also lost almost all of their on-premise business, and that's all upside opportunity for them when we re do return. So that's been a balance. That's actually not a one, one way or the other kind of uh, trade. So that's one of the reasons why I like it. Remember, sporting events have been dead, restaurants, bars, that's all opportunity for recapture of mm -hmm. growth. Annie, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Annie Erner of Iridium 77. If this were a fast pitch, which it is not, but it is Annie's best <laughs> idea right now, Jeff Mills, how would you vote? I'd be buying it, actually. I mean, for somebody like me who doesn't follow the cannabis industry all that closely, it, it feels like any other early stage industry, you know, whether it's tech in the 90s or, or whatever you want to point to. So for me, I want to get exposure through a company like Constellation, as an example, and, and through their ownership in Canopy. I think, you know, the valuation trading at 21 times forward, it is reflecting the cannabis option, certainly. But that's right around where the stock's been trading for the past number of years. Um, if you look at the chart, it is working out a breakout uh, at around 210. So I think if we can hold that level, next stop's probably in the 230s. And, and the core business is solid. I like their plans to return um, to return capital to shareholders. And I think companies like Canopy, just as an example, you know, these companies continue to learn and understand the economics a little bit better. Canopy, as an example, with their new CEO, you know, talking about rationalizing investment with the size of the market. So I do think that that ownership stake actually ends up being a good thing for the company. So I'd buy it here. Bonman, what would you say? Yeah, I'd also be cautiously optimistic. Probably not quite as um, bit, I probably don't have as much holiday cheer as Mills does, but I, I would be cautiously optimistic. <laughs> One thing on. that comes to mind, though, when I'm, when I'm taking a look at the balance sheet is the accumulation of debt. And I think they've got about $11 billion, uh, currently there, and we've seen that free cash flow kind of jump from about $750 million to about $1.92 billion. I'd like to see, okay, fine, yes, they're going to return some of the shareholders, but perhaps they could deleverage a bit. I understand that the elevated debt allows for a higher ROE. But I would like to see a bit more conservatism, particularly being that the argument is that they're now taking a lottery ticket into a more speculative or new mm. space. Fine. Take on more risk on one lever, but de-risk with the other. Got it. Coming up, we're celebrating a very big birthday for one burger joint. Is it a whopper of a buy year? Yes, that is a clue. We're talking fast food on Fast Money. We come right back.
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. That is right. We are celebrating a birthday tonight. Burger King, the home of the Whopper, turning 66 years old today. On December 4th, 1954, the first Burger King franchise restaurant opened in Miami, Florida. Restaurant Brands International owns a fast food brand trading under the ticker QSR. The stock popping today, but shares are down this year, about 5%. So are you sinking your teeth into this name? Tim Seymour, I know you're a fan. Mel, first of all, if I gave you one word to describe the king, and I do mean the, 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 the mascot, not necessarily the franchise. I mean, what, what would you say? Creepy. Creepy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Exactly. Look, um, Burger King has had a few different lives going from public into private to being uh, purchased by, by QSR. Bottom line here is that 31 times I, I think fast food has is, is actually been a beneficiary out of COVID. I think the King, um, for all of his 66 years, is actually looking kind of interesting here. Um, and, and, and overall, though, I'm long McDonald's, and I think that's the preferred play for me. By the way, we wanted to know, we being myself and the crack staff here at Fast Money, wanted to know how creepy the king has been over the years. I mean, it's been 66 years. <laughs> so we went back Very. in time and uh, we did some research. There's a current king on the left. Uh, and you can see he actually started out quite cute in the 1960s. Look at him <laughs> sitting on top of the burger in his little sort of yeah. colonial outfit. Um, Grasso, your top pick in fast food here? So I would go with Tim's uh, with McDonald's as well. I was in Shake Shack, and I think that Shake Shack can move a lot higher from here, but I had to sell it to make room for some of the other names that, that, uh, that I am in. But it is worth noting that Guy Adami had his 10th birthday in a Burger King the first year they were open. So I think that kudos to him and great call on his great call, great call on his part. I will say that QSR looks like it is building a base and is ready to break out as well, though, if that's your, uh, if that's your pick, your poison. Another guy, Adami, a favorite. <laughs> Not even here. Uh, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. <laughs> a lot of discussion on emerging markets. If you want a real high yielder and certainly a name that, that is not for the faint of heart, TUR is the ETF for Turkey. That Turkish lira, I think, is moving higher, meaning lower. 
Bono, and I think you gave it away in the A block, but go ahead, what's your final trade? Yeah, at least I didn't give away my kid's Christmas gift like Mike Coe. I love you, buddy. Um, <laughs> EW, EWZ, I'm staying on theme here in terms of the, the reflation and resource trade. EWZ, Brazil. Jeff Mills. I'd be a buyer of GM here. You know, I think there's an opportunity in EVs. I think there's an opportunity in autos generally. I like the move above 40. That's encouraging to me. I just think below eight times forward earnings is a little bit too cheap. GM. Steve Grasso. I love the value rotation. I'm going to stick with Trinseo, and for a huge reason. I think the market is overlooking the fact that the Democrats are most likely, or I say, should say, have a great chance at taking the Senate as well. That's going to make value rip. That's going to make the reflation trade rip as well, and the market's not pricing that in. All right, that does it for us here on Fast. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you back here next week on Monday at 5 p.m. for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Options Action's up next. Imagine bold, naturally-aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar. Extraordinary dairy.